We'll be reading the whole chapter. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you, masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with a preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak." But that you may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Good morning. Oh, if that didn't wake you up, that's good. Kurt, I like that. That's good. That's a good wake up. That's, a, that's nice to hear on, on a morning, just a wake up, a, a good morning. How are you? Glad to be in the Lord's house. Church, we have the word open before us. And before we dive in here to see what God has to say to each of us, I'm going to ask if you would to join me in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, You have placed us here for a brief time, the Bible says. Uh, But in this brief time, you've placed us here to make a difference for your kingdom, to to pierce the darkness with the love of Christ and to walk worthy of the calling that we've received, being in Christ. Father, we see from your word that it's by grace that you have saved us through faith. And while it is tremendous news to know that you have saved us by your grace, we have also been given a number of days, days which you have ordained. And these days are to be stewarded for your glory and bring honor to your name. 
these days, as we see in the scripture, are evil. And yet we are called to live righteously and soberly and godly in this present age as we look forward to that glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray this morning that you would grant us grace to live each day in your strength and not our own. Remind us of whose we are and that tribulations and trials and sufferings will come in this world. May we be ready when they arrive. May we be found standing in the strength of the Lord, equipped with your armor, covered by the blood of your son, Jesus. We thank you for your word of truth, and I pray this morning that we would listen, expecting you to speak to our hearts and our minds, and may we leave here today changed because of hearing your word. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, today we begin a new series of messages, all of which are going to spring out of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, where we're going to be. We're going to get to know Ephesians chapter 6 very well over the next seven or eight weeks. And I'm looking forward to what the Lord has for us as a body as we spend time looking at this armor of God. The series is titled, Equip for Battle. And we're going to be continuing this theme that we have for this year of reliance. And as we look at what it is to be equipped for battle, we're going to look at reliance upon the Lord for daily living. Daily living. And and I believe it's significant that the Lord here in this text is going to provide for us and show us in many ways what it is that's necessary for us to daily walk with the Lord. As we'll come to see here in Ephesians 6, the Lord has granted to each one of us in Christ a complete armor to put on. Amen? A complete armor. And there's a reason, church, that he's given it to us. We need it. We need it. We need his power. We need his might to be fully equipped in this life. And we especially need his strength if we are to effectively stand against our enemy in these evil days. There's a spiritual battle, in case you haven't noticed. There is a spiritual battle that's being waged in the world. A battle where Christians are the targets. You might know of some places on the map around the world where Christians are being targeted for their faith. Here in the States, even, the spiritual battle has been evidenced in Indiana, in Arkansas of late, with other states, from what I understand, awaiting some decision time on a similar RIFRA bill. There are other states who are kind of in the pipeline of making decisions on what they're going to do. This bill, originally drafted to protect from government overreaching their bounds, has ballooned into this discriminatory bill. How how many times have we heard that? And it's attracted this large number of voices to stir a campaign based upon fear. 
Universities, big businesses, giant retail stores have made their voices heard lately. As if to say, you'd better not pass this bill or else I'm taking my ball and I'm going to go somewhere else. A lot of bandwagoners, I believe, these days whose voices are being heard. And yet I wonder, as I'm thinking through all of this and seeing what's happening, I wonder how many really know what the bill says. You see, anything that smells of Christian has the target on it. People are taking aim. They're firing away at anything deemed Christian these days. The foundations of our faith are under siege. The question the psalmist asks is, what are the righteous going to do when those foundations are being attacked? What do you do? How do you respond? And yet in the midst of all of this, church, I ask, should we be surprised that this is happening? Should this take us off guard that these things are happening? You see, Jesus mentioned to his disciples before going to the cross, he said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. He says that in John chapter 15, verse 18. One chapter later in chapter 16, verse 33, he says, in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, Jesus says. Isn't it interesting that he says that before even going to the cross? He already has counted it as done. It's a done deal. I've overcome. You see, tribulations will come. But the Christian has the peace that passes all understanding. Amen? The Christian has the hope of eternal salvation. The Christian has a better home yet to come. A reserved invitation to be with Jesus for all eternity. And there's coming a day, church, this is good news to know. There's coming a day when there's not going to be any more ISIS. There's coming a day when there's not going to be any more injustice. Not going to be any more drug trafficking. Not going to be any more big business pornography. Not going to be any more tears. There's not going to be any more sorrow. It's all going to pass away. And that's good news, isn't it? I'd like to encourage you maybe take a step further in that thought, the good news of what is yet to come ought to then spur us on to live boldly for the Lord Jesus Christ right now. And I believe many of us in here would say, yes, yes. You see, I believe many of us in here really do desire to live our lives and we want to live for Jesus. Yet when persecution comes because of this word... Many people quickly fall away or give way. We've become accustomed to living the Christian life in the context of what I'll just call this Christian bubble. And yet even in some Christian bubbles, we don't even do that very well. Where fighting and bickering take center stage, where arguments abound... The church of Jesus Christ is fighting against herself. And all the while, the evil one applauds. He laughs. He points the finger in disbelief at these people who profess their allegiance to this risen Savior, Jesus Christ. See, their lives in many instances are far from their profession. 
We can get distracted and live more often for the evil one's purposes than we can for the Lord's purposes. We are a busy people. And it seems we're getting busier all the time. We live life at this frenetic pace and rarely, it seems... Do these people who profess to be Christ followers have time for reading the word and prayer? Think about that. We're going to get to this in the weeks ahead. How is it that we do not make time for prayer and Bible reading? As a Christian, how is that possible? Is it any wonder that Christians are being picked off at an alarming rate by the enemy? Prayer and the word are essentials for one following Jesus. With a battle that's going on in the heavenly places, how can we not afford to pray? Why is it that we forfeit God's word of truth being brought to bear on our lives and opt to live even a 24-hour period without taking in his word? You see, I believe there are some of us here today that are okay with missing a day, with missing two days, with missing three days. And it's not about being legalistic, church. It's about the fact that we need his word of truth in us every day. We need his word. The battle is relentless, and yet the battle has been won. Amen? That's good news. The battle is daily, and yet the remedy for such a battle is available to all. The battle can be tough, it can weigh you down, it can be discouraging, and yet we've been given one who walks alongside of us, that comforter, encourager, the Holy Spirit. He's with us in the midst of the battle. Church, are you equipped for the battle that I'm speaking of? Are you floating through each day without considering this spiritual battle? You see, the battle is not simply for allegiance of the mind and heart. But this battle that we're speaking of from God's word aims at the soul. Parents, if you have children that are here with you today, I'd like you to take a good look at them for just a moment. The battle that's spoken of by the Bible impacts you and your wife, for sure. But it also impacts each of those ones entrusted to your care. Souls are on the line. And the Lord has called me as an elder, as I read in in the scriptures, he said in his word that an elder is to be a caretaker of souls. Hebrews 13, 17. As a caretaker of souls, my hope is to preach Christ. This is not my own new idea. This is the Apostle Paul speaking in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. My hope is to preach Christ, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that I might present every man mature, perfect, 
in Christ Jesus. And I do this and strive to this end according to his working, which works in me mightily. That would be the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, in many ways, this message today serves as orientation, a primer for equipping oneself for the battle. You see, I I can feed you the truth of God's word and pray that each time I stand up here to preach, I do just that, feed you from God's word. But church, you are the one who must fight the good fight of the faith. You are the one who must stand in the midst of the battle. You are the one called upon to take up the whole armor of God. I cannot take it up for you. I pray this word awakens you to the realities of your time here. That it's no joyride with retirement and vacation travels attached on the backside. You know, the longer that I'm a citizen of heaven abiding in this world. The more I have come to realize that this world is not my home. It's not. The more I desire to depart and be with Christ, which Paul says, which is far better. But until then, I must engage and participate in the battle with the weapons of warfare entrusted to me through our Lord Jesus Christ. In the meantime, while I await that glorious return of the Lord, in the meantime, I'm called to walk worthy of the Lord and to do so as a, listen to the context, I'm to do so as a sojourner, as a pilgrim, in the midst of a world held under the sway of the evil one. I didn't make that up. 1 John 5, 19 says that. For those who doubt that there is a battle going on or question the extent of the battle going on, I'd like to turn your attention to Matthew chapter 4 for just a moment. You see, having been baptized, the Spirit of God sends Jesus into the wilderness. And while he's there, he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. Remember that? And then who shows up on the scene? The devil, the tempter, he shows up. He comes at what he thinks is an opportune time in the life of Jesus while he's hungry. And yet each offer, each invitation from the devil is countered with what? The sword of the spirit, the word of God. And then you get to verse 11. It says, then the devil left him. Or Luke's version, I I especially enjoy Luke chapter 4, says that when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Friends, the devil is always looking for that opportune time in your life as well. But it's also caused me to consider and think that If the devil comes to Jesus and is tempting the Son of God, what does this say about his all-out effort to thwart God and those who bear his image? 
Have we tried to rationalize this spiritual battle? On one hand, perhaps covering our eyes as if there's really no battle at all that exists. And on the other hand, pretending that the evil one is behind and under every rock. (laughs) I believe some have underestimated the evil one's work here on earth, while others have credited and given him too much. The Bible says that we are to be acquainted with his schemes, amen? We're to know his schemes. But the Bible also calls the follower of Jesus to know and to grow in the Lord, to show others who this Jesus is and to live lives that align with our profession of faith in Jesus. You see, we're going to be aware of his schemes. It's sort of like the exercise of being able to identify a counterfeit bill. Know what a real one looks like. Don't spend all your energies and time. You see, there are some people who, with religion today, will do all that they can to find out all these things about all these different religions and yet know very little about Christianity. They know very little about the truth of God's word. Let us be sure we know the truth of God's word, church. For in knowing the truth of God's word, we're going to know the counterfeit. As you arrive in the book of Ephesians and you get to chapter 6, you've covered a lot of territory already in Paul's letter. The first three chapters speak to our belief and the remaining three chapters address our behavior in Christ. The first three chapters speak of doctrine and the last three chapters show how to apply that doctrine to life or how to walk it out in the context of daily living. Remember that as Paul visited Ephesus and spent some considerable time there, Acts chapter 19, his third missionary journey, we have this portrait of Ephesus that is dark in many ways. Magic arts, sorcery, evil spirits prevalent in the land. And even amidst the good news of seeing all those magic scrolls, remember that scene? All the magic scrolls that were burned on the back end of the Sons of Sceva incident. Even in the midst of that good news, there's still a large majority, it seems, of the Ephesian population bent on serving the gods of the land, none greater than Diana, the goddess, right? The great goddess of the Ephesians. We need to remember, too, that Paul himself is dealing with a personal battle as he writes, for he himself sits in prison. This is one of Paul's prison letters. So you have a context to consider when you read Ephesians 6. You have real people to whom he is writing to, these people who lived in Ephesus. In fact, chapter 1, verse 1 says that Paul is writing to the saints who are in Ephesus, the faithful in Jesus Christ. That's the audience to whom he's writing. To the saints and to the faithful. Paul writes as he's moved by the Holy Spirit. He wants the believers in the church at Ephesus to understand something about this battle that they find themselves in. He wants them to understand where the Lord has planted them there in Ephesus, how to navigate through the darkness that is around them. 
And as I preach, friends, I too want you to be aware and understand the battle that is going on around us, around your own household, and within each one of you here who calls on the name of the Lord. See, these very words are instructive not only for the church at Ephesus, but for the church here at Hope in Christ. And so let's then commit to receive them as such and walk together in them, praying to that end that we would walk worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of this wicked and perverse generation that caters to the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Let's look at the text. Verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. What we have here are closing words. Finally. Finally. These parting words, these last words from Paul to the church. What what are the final words that he's going to leave them with? What are these final words that he wants them to carry with them? You know, a lot of times when we are reading a book or we're hearing someone speak... We remember the last words, don't we? Oftentimes. Paul is writing here in verses 10 through 20 some weighty words, some very significant words for his listener to take with them, to carry with them. First thing I'd like you to see here and not look past it because it would be easy to do so. And that is his audience. He says, finally, my brethren. My brethren. See, these words are written to the brethren, to the believers in Jesus Christ. Primarily to those in Ephesus in the first century. But by extension, written to believers yet today. And so what follows here in Ephesians 6 is not cultural in any way or only applicable to the church at Ephesus. The battle and the armor of God mentioned here are much needed for all believers at all times. Do we understand that? Do we see that in the text? Therefore, it would be prudent for all to hear these final words. These parting words and to hear with great attentiveness. The fact that it's written to my brethren informs me, causes me as I'm reading it to pause just for a moment. See, what follows is intended for the believer in Christ Jesus. And I feel compelled before entering any further into the text to ask you a few questions. Are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you confessed and repented of your sins and turned to the Lord for cleansing and healing? Do you delight to walk with God? Is his word of truth your truth? Does your life, does your conduct, words, thoughts, motives, attitudes, does your life manifest the aroma of Christ? I pose these questions up front for a few reasons. First of all, I don't want you to hear these words in Ephesians 6 and assume they are applicable to you if indeed they are not. (laughs) I don't mean to be callous in saying it that way. But essentially... If you're not a believer, the command to put on the armor of God may very well settle distastefully in the pit of your stomach. A natural man cannot discern spiritual things. The Bible says that. 
You must be born again. A new creation. A vessel filled with the Holy Spirit. If you are here today and have not believed into the name of Jesus, then it's my prayer that these messages over the next several weeks might stir your heart to consider your need for Jesus and to be able to access this full armor of God that he, pre- he provides freely for his children. Then there are some of you here today. You have already made that profession of faith and would declare yourself to be a believer in Jesus. And if that's you, I encourage you to drink in the following words from Ephesians 6. Allow them to nourish your soul. You see, the Lord is instructing his people, not only making them aware there is a battle, but he's gracious to give us exactly what we need to stand victorious in the daily battle being in Christ Jesus. Praise God. So what's the first command here in verse 10? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong. It's best rendered, be continually strengthened. It's rendered in the passive voice. It's supported by the phrase that follows, in the Lord. Now, this is an important distinction to see in the text. Because is there a difference, as you think about it, is there there a difference between a command to be strong and a command to be continually strengthened? You see, the one can conjure up these images of working out, exerting my own strength to make the difference. Be strong. Pull up the bootstraps and do it myself. The other is dependent upon someone or something strengthening me. The other begs the question, who is it that's going to continually strengthen me? And the text answers the question. It provides the source of the strength in the Lord. So be continually strengthened in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, here in Ephesians 6, Paul issues a command for the brethren. But earlier, if you just flip back a page in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prays this very thing for the church at Ephesus. Look at starting in verse 14. He says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, listen, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So when you see Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, and then hear the command that's issued in Ephesians 6, you begin to see how one can be continually strengthened in the Lord and in the power of his might. It's through his spirit. His spirit who is poured out in the hearts of those who believe. His spirit who empowers us. His spirit who, according to the Bible, dwells with us how long? Forever. That's how you are enabled to continually be strengthened in the Lord. So let me ask you, church. Are you able to obey the command in verse 10? Absolutely. Yes. 
if you have the Spirit of Christ in you. You have been equipped to carry out what this is saying. And we need to embrace that. We need to hold on to that truth as we read the next verse. Verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Be continually strengthened in the Lord and in the power of his might. And now we see a command, put on. What are we to put on? The text gives us the answer. The whole armor of God. The original word, panoplion, is the word. It has in mind this whole idea that all the parts of the armor. We're to put on all the parts of the armor. All of it. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to see in detail what makes up this whole armor. But according to the text, it's important to look at and ask the question again, whose armor is this? According to the text, whose armor is it? It's God's. Armor of God. The armor we're called to put on is his. He has equipped us with a full suit of armor. And it's important to recognize that this is the full armor of God. You see, all things have been given to us by God. And so when we read this, perhaps one of the questions we come to is, what ought to be our response knowing that he has given to us this complete armor? It caused me to ask a larger question to move out a little bit with it and to ask, how do I steward the things of God in general in my life? Here the text is calling me to put on the whole armor of God. And without reading any further, are you inclined to obey that command? To just simply put on this armor of God that he's given to you. The text doesn't leave the believer guessing here. The command is to put on the whole armor. And the armor is divine armor belonging to God himself. The text says that you are to put on this whole armor so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The implication of the text is that without putting on this armor, you cannot stand against the wiles of the devil. His wiles, his schemes, his strategies. The command is to put on something God himself has given you that you might stand against the devil. Listen. There are many believers in Jesus Christ today who are falling at alarming rates. Sons and daughters are leaving the home, leaving the faith. Men and women, young and old, are being turned aside to the pleasantries of this world. They've been easily ensnared. The good Lord has graciously given and provided you a whole suit of armor to put on that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. As you read through the armor that's listed, you notice that each piece is really, listen, each piece is really descriptive of God. Each piece of the armor adds to the character of who God is. This is important. Listen to this. So so here's what you have in the text when you consider this divine armor that you're called to put on. I was drawn to Romans chapter 13. 
Paul says there in Romans 13, 12, 14, he says, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Friends, when you put on this whole armor of God, you are putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about it. If you go through the armor, Christ is truth. He is truth. His name is righteousness. He is the Prince of Peace. And he came and he preached peace. He is the author and finisher of our faith. And he is the faithful one all the time. His coming to earth was a salvation mission. To save his people from their sins. And John's gospel refers to this Jesus as the logos or the word. This word was with God in the beginning. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I believe there are two other important things to learn from this text here. First of all, we see that the Lord desires his children to put on this whole armor in order to stand against the schemes of the devil. He's called his children to be continually strengthened in his mighty power that they might stand against this deceptive one. Closely connected to that is he's written these things. He's provided this armor to let us know that the devil is deemed a very real enemy and deceiver. He's deemed the prince of the power of the air, the one who holds sway over things here on the earth. He knows his time is limited. The Bible says and speaks of a day when the devil and his demons are going to be cast into that lake of fire. Until that time, he remains here on earth and his mission is to steal and kill and destroy. He's a liar. He's sinned from the beginning. The command to put on the whole armor should help us understand the severity of the battle that is in front of us. We must not walk blindly in these days, church. And we dare not rely on our own strength. Remember the song we sang? Should we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be what? Losing. That's the result. Look at the next verse. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. I want you to see the connection here between 11 and 12. It's put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, the command to be continually strengthened in the Lord and in the power of his might, the command to put on the whole armor of God, these commands are given in light of the real enemy of our souls. The real enemy is not against flesh and blood. Can I repeat that once more? 
The real enemy of our souls is not flesh and blood. Those who occupy an earthen tent. They're not our enemy. Brothers and sisters, we need this reminder and we need to repent. How many of us have been prone to point a finger at flesh and blood? We talked about this last night in our own time of worship. How prone are we? How how quick are we to just default to pointing a finger at flesh and blood, even within our own household? We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. You see, I believe in many ways we have lost sight of, we've forgotten who the real enemy is. How many marriages have been broken because there was an emphasis upon the flesh and blood being right? How many of us have harbored anger, bitterness, discontentment toward flesh and blood? How many relationships have been broken because we failed to remember this word here in Ephesians 6, verse 12? You see, when we stray from fulfilling what Paul says in Galatians 5, the law of loving one another, we can revert instead toward flesh and blood. And here's the result in Galatians 5, 15. Paul says, if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Has the church become consumed by one another? How much biting and devouring has gone on and how much of this has gone on because we've failed to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and not given any provision for the lusts of the flesh? How much of the carnage could have been spared had we simply obeyed his word and put on the whole armor of God like he called us to? Without trying to Parse the four parties mentioned in 6 verse 12. The right parties with whom we are to wrestle against. Let me say here that the four parties that are mentioned in verse 12 are working together. They're working together. In fact, the devil and his demons of darkness are working in quite the orderly fashion to devour you. And claim allegiance to your soul. Principalities and powers have in mind the authorities, uh, the government. Seems there's this system of development, a channel of affairs through which the devil works. He is orderly. The rulers of the darkness of this age, the devil is deemed the ruler of this world, Jesus says in John 16, 11. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, he is deemed the God of this age who has blinded men. From seeing the light of the gospel, right? He's the one who's known as the adversary who walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8. And as we read earlier in 1 John 5 19, this world is held in bondage to the sway of the wicked one. It's precisely because of the darkness of this world that Jesus came here. Paul says in Galatians 1 verse 4 that He gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from the present evil age. 
So the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. It's important to note here that phrase heavenly places. It's been used many times up to this point. All in reference to the Lord and his angels. In fact, we see a reference of it in chapter 2. When he's talking about how God has been rich in his mercy, great love. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made, you, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. But here we see that reference to heavenly places. The spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Here it must reference something other than the heavenly place among the Lord and his angel hosts. The reference seems to be acknowledging something significant about this enemy. And we need to be very mindful of this, church. He resides in the spiritual realm. And not simply through our typical physical touch and see lens. He's at work, moving about, looking perhaps for an opportune time to come. The Bible says and calls us not to give place to the devil. In particular, we don't give place to the devil. It's in the context of being angry and not sinning, isn't it? Will the armor of God be put on? Will you be ready to stand against him when the temptation comes? Remember, as part of his schemes, he's not going to typically advertise his next move in your life. He's not going to walk around this, this flashing neon sign. It's not going to say, I'm the devil, and now I'm about to tempt you. Get ready. No! By that time, he's devoured you. He doesn't work that way. In fact, the Bible says that he masquerades as what? As an angel of light. You see, an unseen enemy is a dangerous enemy, isn't it? All the more reason to walk worthy of the Lord, putting on his divine armor as he's called us to. One other note here from verse 12 that I'd like to put forward. Notice that Paul uses another image, that of wrestling. Wrestling. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against those four entities that are listed there in verse 12. Wrestling brings to our attention the nature of the battle. This is important to understand. Think of wrestling with an unseen enemy. Wrestling is a close contact sport. In fact, it was said back in the day that wrestling, much different than what wrestling is today, praise God, but back in the day, it seems, from what I can understand, was pretty gruesome. You were to pin down your opponent with hand on the neck. And then the loser had their eyes gouged out. Pretty serious stuff. See, this wrestling against the principalities and the powers and those described in verse 12. Church, this is, this is serious, what we're talking about. This wrestling. I don't believe it's a coincidence that Paul uses this imagery to help his readers feel the urgency to put on the whole armor of God, to know that this battle is fought in close proximity to the evil one as we navigate in the midst of a dark world. We are, remember, we are visitors. We're not of this world. We're playing on his home turf. We're the visiting ones. 
And yet, as I was thinking about that, I was reminded of Jesus and how he came into this world. Jesus didn't respond to our problem that we had, dating all the way back to Genesis, (laughs) by being passive. He engaged. He came. He invaded, if you will. And he claimed victory for each one of us in Christ when he went to that cross, defeating death. In fact, Colossians 2.15 says that Jesus disarmed principalities and powers. He disarmed them. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them at the cross. That's what Jesus did. Look at verse 13, Ephesians 6. Therefore... Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. Therefore, therefore, because we have such an enemy, take up the whole armor of God. The command comes once again. This time with military-like force. It's not put on this time, but take up the whole armor. It has in mind to take up with the intent to use. Think about how silly it would be for a soldier to go into battle with a sword. And he's got his sword, but he really has no intention to use it. He's got a knife, but he really has no intention to use it. He's just just holding on to it. It's take up with intent to use. We're called to take up this armor of God that we might be able to withstand, that we might be able to resist, that we might be able to oppose that which is good in the evil day. The timeline of history reveals certain days of evil. In the biblical times, we see the fire in Rome, which resulted in Christian persecution. We see the destruction of Jerusalem, 70 AD. We even see some recent examples. Oklahoma City bombing, 9-11, When the evil day presents itself, how does the believer in Jesus respond? How should he respond in light of putting on our Lord Jesus Christ? And notice where Paul goes with this in verse 13. He says, and having done all to stand. Oh, that's a a critical part of this verse. You see, the whole armor of God, when accessed, will help us withstand In the evil day. And having done all. There's a perseverance called for here, church. An endurance. A stick with it kind of attitude and spirit that ought to mark the child of God who wears the armor of God. Having done all implies there's work for us to do here. We don't simply stand around and do nothing. But we are engaged in the fight as a good soldier would. Prepared, alert, watchful, ready. Paul himself is a great example of this having done all kind of spirit. Listen to what he writes to Timothy as he awaits execution, church, in a Roman prison. In 2 Timothy 4 verse 8, you know this verse very well. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, 
the righteous judge will give to me on that day and not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. You see, with the strength of the Lord working in you, putting on the whole armor of God, understanding who your real enemy is, the assumption in the text is that the believer in Jesus will stand on the other end of having done all. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Positionally, you are already seated with Christ in the heavenlies. You have been saved by grace through faith and that not of your own. I'm not advocating here a works-based salvation. I want to be clear about this. No, instead, I'm calling the church to advance with perseverance and endurance, realizing that her labor in the Lord is not in vain. Oh, that it might be said of all of us, having done all, we stand in Christ. Having done all. You see, there's an expression I was reminded in the athletic arena, leave it all in the court. For those of you that have participated in athletics, you know what that means. Coach says, leave it all on the court. It's this whole idea of encouraging his players to expend everything that they've got to win the game. Lay it all on the line. Give your best. Exhaust yourself for the next 40 minutes. Work together. Church, that example woefully pales, it woefully pales to the energy and the effort that ought to be given to our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, knowing that he gave himself for you, what are you going to give for him? How long are you going to give it? When times get tough, when those temptations arise and trials come, will you keep going? After being called to Resist the devil. Peter speaks these words. 1 Peter 5, verse 10. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while. May the God of all grace then perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. You see, the whole armor is to be put on. And it's important for us to understand this armor, this whole armor of God to be put on, it's a once for all time idea. As opposed to some mystical putting on each day. Let me ask the question. Is the text calling you to put on the armor of God on a day and then to take it off at night and then wake up in the morning and put it on and take it off and then put it on? No. We are to put it on. We are to have a one-time putting on. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't keep putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. We have put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to put on, in the same way, this armor of God that he's given to us. And walk in it. That we might withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. And the Lord has brought us to a significant point in the text. For verse 14 begins with, stand, therefore. And we'll go forward outlining the significant pieces of the armor of God. Church, I want you to see where he wants us to be. 
He wants us to stand and not cower in fear. He's not given to us a spirit of fear or timidity. Paul writes to Timothy. But that's also applicable to each one of us. The Lord desires us to stand in this battle where the forces of darkness are scheming, plotting, strategizing how they might turn your eyes away from the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know and to be encouraged that you can stand. If you don't hear anything else this morning, I want you to know that you can stand. You can. He's made it possible for you in the flesh to stand. Not because of your righteous works, but because of the righteousness, the perfect righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. You can stand. In fact, listen to what James and Peter have to say about this spiritual battle that we're in. James 4, I'm going to leave you with these verses. James 4, 6 through the first part of verse 8. He says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to whom? The humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Notice the order in which he speaks those words. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Peter in chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, in verse 9, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Verse 9, resist him, the devil, steadfast in the faith. Steadfast in the faith, having done all. Both these passages call the believer in the context of persecution to resist the devil, both of them. One passage emphasizes the means for resisting, steadfast in the faith. The other passage shed light on the result of such resisting, he will flee from you. Both passages also speak very clearly to the precursor of resisting the devil. Here it is, listen. A life submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ in the spirit of humility. A life submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ in the spirit of humility. Sounds a lot like the call to be continually strengthened in the Lord and in the power of his might. You see, as we submit our lives to God and humble ourselves under his mighty hand, it's his power, it's his might working in us that effectively enables us to resist the devil. He's a real and threatening enemy. But he's also a defeated enemy. Thanks to what our Lord accomplished at the cross. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory, through whom? Through our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for granting to us victory. We sing the song of victory in Jesus my Savior forever. He bought me, sought me with his redeeming blood. Father, we thank you for your great love toward us. We thank you for this armor that we read about here this morning, this armor of yours that you've called us to put on. And Father, we can effectively navigate in this dark world in which we live with this armor on.
And Father, I pray for those here today who have yet to establish a relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that would be the first thing that we look at and examine this day as we've come and opened your word. Is a need for a savior. A need for someone to be able to effectively clothe me during my time here. And by extension, one who will clothe, further clothe me when this life is done. Father, I pray that there would be many here who would desire to be found clothed and not found naked, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Father, that you, through your mighty power, would move in us, would embolden us, remind us of the access that we have now through Christ, through what he did at the cross, when that temple curtain was torn in two, Lord. Access was made possible 24-7 for the child of God to come to speak with you to be in your presence at all times and that's Lord how we can be continually strengthened through spirit working mightily in us oh father I pray that we would do our part to stand having done all may we not give up the fight Father, I'm praying for some here this morning who are thinking about throwing in the towel. They're thinking about calling it quits on this whole idea of walking with the Lord. They're doing what the psalmist in Psalm 73 did and he's looking around and he's seeing all these other people who are in the world and they seem to be getting ahead. They seem to be doing all these things and and nothing seems to be happening to them. And there's this desire that's coming to Flee from what they know to be true. Father, I pray that that your truth, as we'll speak to next week, they would be encouraged by your truth and they would stand upon the truth of your word and not be swayed to the right or to the left, but would walk with you. Father, we're grateful for your word and we thank you this day that we've been called to put on this armor, to take up with intent to use this armor you have given to us I pray we would use it. I pray we would then stand together. And I pray that in the midst of this battle that we've talked about, we would be diligent to pray one for another for our brothers and sisters who are going through the same battle and struggle that we are. May we encourage one another in the faith as we pray and lift them up. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.